So for all of you that do not know, we have a Slack channel that has a lot of chatter. And this is how the idea was incepted to talk with Nathan and Tim today because these two are both active on the channel and they're awesome assets for the community. And so I figured it is time that we pick their brains about what is going on in their lives for anybody that is wondering who they are, or what they're doing. These two are investors and they primarily are investing in seed stages. And they're also primarily looking at MLOps companies. So they do a little bit of everything and I'll let them explain that in a bit. But the main thing that they like to invest in, if I understand it correctly, are MLOps companies and they like the space. It's hot space right now. And so I'm excited to ask you both about what is going on in the MLOps landscape and how you're seeing it. Um, but before that, maybe we should just go ahead and start with a bit of introductions. And Tim, I'll let you go first. Can you let us know what your background is, how you ended up starting to invest, and then what got you into the MLOps space? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. You know, it's funny. I think Nathan and I, we chatted uh, because I was, a, I was a founder just before this. <laughs> okay. I'm, a, I'm a very really recent VC, I would say. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm Tim, you know, my background, I'm a software engineer uh, for, for most of my career, actually. So spend most of my career on uh, just infrastructure stuff. So I worked on, you know, open source projects. I worked on like uh, cloud backends. Like I worked on Halo, the game. I worked on um, uh, search engines and stuff like that. And I got really interested in open source. So I, I jumped in to Apache stuff, uh, you know, started with Hive and Pig, you know, these old school, if you can call it old school, big data uh, <laughs> or ancient big data stuff. Now, um, then I jump into like uh, Kafka, uh, you know, and then uh, I joined Mesosphere really early. I was a really early employee at Mesosphere. So I worked on Mesos. I was working on Mesos, the container runtime uh, since 2015 or 14, I think 14. Um, and yeah, after I started my own company, um, you know, I was using machine learning actually, because I was in infrastructure space, right? So I was really all in into like infrastructure, not ML ops specifically, but just like, you know, containers, Kubernetes, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. Um, then we're using machine learning to actually optimize Kubernetes clusters. That was my, my company. That's when Nathan and I would chat a little bit called Hyperpilot. Um, nice. Uh, we exited a company to Cloudera 2018, and I was actually acquired into the machine learning org in Cloudera. So we're actually building machine learning products mm. for enterprises um, since that point. So, you know, building pipelines, notebooks, and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that got me into ML ops, I would say, actually specifically you know, in Cloudera. And I left her for a year and, you know, been angel investing and found so much joy helping companies and just doing stuff I, I, I think I understand pretty well. And yeah, so raised my first fund. It's a, it's a very small fund. Uh, it's, I would call it myself, I guess, micro VC. It's, uh, we write pretty small checks at the moment, but you know, uh, it's called Essence VC. We, we invest mostly in infrastructure uh, and AIML companies um, and try to be helpful from day one, you know, because that's my journey and that's my been through a couple of uh, stints of that. So um, yeah, awesome. that's a little bit about me. 
Very cool to hear. And Nathan, how did you end up getting into this field? Mm. Yeah, um, my original training and kind of academic interest has been in life sciences and biology. Um, I started doing that in undergrad and then in grad school through a master's and PhD. And I think my first foray um, is really that, like back in 2000, uh, let's say like 11, 12, 13 or so, uh, in biology, bioinformatics was becoming kind of all the rage um, with projects like the whole genome uh, sequencing project um, and many other kind of large genome sequencing projects for various diseases. And I was just getting very interested as to like how we could use uh, more computational methods as opposed to, you know, humans kind of pipetting in a lab uh, to answer questions that are large scale about human health. Um, and then when I finished my PhD in 2013, um, I got much more interested in like kind of rapidly translating ideas that I, that I was working on in the lab into real world products that people could use. Um, and that's what got me into VC because um, at the time I didn't really have like a particular idea that I wanted to work on, but like solid venture is like a great way to have exposure to many different ideas and like Slack channels like this one didn't really exist. Um, and then, uh, and that's just sort of like, found myself like really enjoying the job, like enjoying the diversity of people that I could work with. Um, and in 2014, 15, like machine learning started to get more topical in like the London ecosystem that I was evolving in, um, given that we had DeepMind just like 10 minutes up the road that had that big outcome to Google and, you know, more people were kind of working on these projects. Um, so I guess that's sort of what, what ended up uh, resulting in me like, sticking around in, in the field. And so I've seen a lot of the transition from, you know, early companies doing data science projects and FinTech in like early 2010s, um, all the way to now, like much more advanced companies um, using machine learning in production for a variety of use cases. Hmm. Um, uh, and basically after like seven years or so uh, at various venture firms, I decided to set up my own solo GP firm um, in January last year. And that's to kind of be like a pure expression of my interests in uh, applied machine learning, uh, essentially all the way from developer tools infrastructure to like dedicated applications for problems that consumers have, enterprises have, but also that life scientists have. Um, so that's what I do with with Airstreet. Um, so I operate as a solo GP, but I also have a operating partnership of people who've kind of been through this before at large companies and, and smaller ones so that we can have a much more kind of um, close to the metal sort of approach when we're evaluating companies. And like Tim said, you know, just, just be like more on the side of the founder because we can relate to them and have kind of been through similar journeys before. Nice. Yeah. And you also, for anyone that doesn't know, you put out a pretty rockin' report every, is it every quarter? Oh God, uh, it's every year, every year. Every year. All right. Yeah. So we have the state of AI report every year and then uh, which is about 150 slides or so, which is really just trying to like, um, evangelize the field and kind of level the playing field for people to understand like the geopolitical, um, you know, considerations to their work, but also what's happening in research and industry and talent. Um, and then a newsletter on a, on a monthly basis. Nice. Cool. So I know that we have both, so I've talked to Tim, uh, at length on these subjects that I want to cover. And I've also talked to you, Nathan, at length on this and, it's really cool that we can all be in, in the same Zoom room to talk about this together because I think there's some things that we all uh, just really like looking at and 
trying to analyze the problems. One of which is like, oh, well, how are these people tackling this solution or how are they seeing the problem and what is the solution that they're coming up with? I, I'd like to maybe start with you, Nathan, again. Can you give us an, just maybe a high-level overview of what your take of the lay of the land looks like right now in the MLOps sphere or the space? Yeah, um, so I guess like what I see is um, like some some segments that are super active and some that are that are less active, and I would sort of so I kind of bundle it um, along the value chain of you know from labeling all the way to like in production and monitoring. Um, the areas that I find are super active, and I see like a startup every other week or probably every week is in labeling, like data set annotation. Um, you know, Scale became a three billion dollar company, I think, last week. Um, data quality is like has been very hot over the last twelve months. There's been a crop of call it a dozen companies that have sprung up largely at the same time um, to help developers understand if their models are consuming garbage data or good data. Um, and then the other category is in uh, is in monitoring and explainability and call it kind of data dog for machine learning. Um, I've probably seen two dozen companies doing that. Um, that's the super active stuff. And then the less active stuff seems to be on deployment. Like I haven't seen that many companies you know, since Algorithmia and Selden, maybe um, one or two others kind of tackle that. Um, haven't seen too much on version control other than, you know, some crowd favorites like DVC. Um, feature stores, like there's been a topic on Slack a lot and you've had people who work on this before. And I think there's a couple companies, maybe one or two companies that have a lot of the mindshare around this, around these two words. Uh, maybe that's going to evolve a bit more. Um, and then I'd say like, quite a big slowdown, I think, in the end-to-end -end platform pitch. I think we'll get to this also in the discussion today, but I recall a couple of years ago, you know, huge financing rounds and lots of companies saying, like, this is the dedicated sort of way that you do machine learning, and this is the product for you, like, and you don't have to worry about anything else. And it sort of seems that, like, as the field's matured, that, that has um, become less popular. People got wise to that is a hard <laughs> problem. <laughs> a tough nut to crack, isn't it? So, Tim, can you give us your your rundown on what you've been seeing and just the the greater landscape that you look at? Uh, I mean, it it won't differ from those categories, right? So, you know, I think it's it's interesting for me is that the approaches people take, right, and <clears throat> sort of issues and customers they actually able to acquire, it sort of changes over time, which I always feel is fascinating, like. When I was looking at, let's let's say, uh, uh, if you look at monitoring, right, and modern monitoring, yeah, it, for a while it's Datadog like just all pure metrics, right? Give me your L2s or give me anything we can tell any drift or, or differences, and then suddenly you see security related. You know, you suddenly see, you know, more KPI metrics related to those drifts, right? Uh, or uh, even models on top of monitoring, you know, to, to even see how I can compute different sort of like differences of, of computation. I think we're definitely seeing what, what I think is really interesting. MLOps is moving along with ML maturity with the companies using ML products. Like the more further along they are, then they start to think about more and more issues. And they're all getting customers in one way or another, even though they may not seeing like a huge floodgate of them. But they're all making some progress, like AI security. I never really thought about that until, like, hey, we have three customers. Like, oh, really? <laughs> and and it's really becomes more of an interesting. Um, I think the layer of land will keep changing. The, the buckets are still going to be there. 
the definition of those buckets might change even a little bit, like labeling, maybe just annotation for one day. Then we have, you know, snorkel, and then we have maybe some other thing else that even comes in to not just purely do human labeling or autom automated weak provision, uh, supervision labeling. There might be something else in the future, you know, to address a lot of the problems we're going to see from all the way from the data inputs the, the, in the messy middle. <laughs> just getting all your quality and data, like you know, like Nathan mentioned, and then actually using it in production. And also actually in the end, there's the visualization piece of it, right? The application, people are actually calling it or using it. And those, I actually do see a little bit more, a little increase more on the end side now, like visualizations, how to actually see, like the streamlet kind of guys, right? Mm. Uh, how to actually see apps being created and consuming those models, right? And are those models always, called by an API or is always consumed by one way or another. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, right? The, the ML ops companies today are not sometimes always pure ops, you know? It's like sometimes ML ops embedded, but with some other sort of uh, value propositions on top or, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating space. It's, it's gonna change every six months, I feel like, like quite a bit, so yeah. Yeah, which makes your job really interesting, right? That makes it yeah, a lot it's, of fun. It's part of fun, right? Otherwise, it, it's just like, oh, yet another, you know, I thought I saw this three years ago, right? <laughs> Doing exactly the same. Like, what? yeah, like, what's the point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's really interesting what Nathan was saying, how the idea of deployment has kind of slowed down. Like, the startups that you've been seeing that are trying to tackle that problem, it feels like maybe that problem has already been solved by the algorithmias and the Seldens. But what we've seen in the community so much is that that's still very much a big problem for most uh, companies and for most people that are trying to get their models out into production. So it, it's really interesting to think like, okay, people are, they figure that space has been tackled, that problem is solved with X, Y, and Z. Now let's move on and try and do something else. And uh, and the monitoring space, as as we know, is super hot right now. And I've talked a lot uh, with both of you about this because I find it really interesting. And I know that, yeah, the companies that are in the monitoring space are popping up like mushrooms and they just come every day. It's like, oh, there's another one. Wow. Great. So <laughs> let's uh, let's move on, though, because I wanted to ask maybe, Tim, give us uh, your your version of this of what companies right now really excite you? What are some that you feel like, ooh, that is doing something that I think has a future? <laughs> wow, that's a, it's a tough question to answer because I often will have maybe an idea, like for example, model serving, right? I always feel like, okay, if any more companies going down that path, right, how do you win? between the, all the incumbents, right? And how do you actually able to create your own uh, ecosystem and dominate them, that, that category? Uh, and then, then I will see a model serving company that blows my mind, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's really, I, I, I do hesitate to kind of answer that question because I, I've, I've been seeing really, really interesting, fascinating companies uh, that are still trying to break through these categories that seems like it's really hard to break through. Um, and to me, I feel like, but just answer your question in general, I think end-to-end -end machine learning models, uh, platforms definitely is not a great, you know, 
doesn't make anyone excited. <laughs> I think at the moment, you know, uh, if you, I think we just want to see something really, truly different, right? Um, Cause you were doing something exactly like the other players or really not that different from the open source options or uh, any sort of managed, you know, providers, right? Because everyone, everyone in this space all start off one place. Like I'm just going to do labeling in one sort of category of data, right? And then you, you think that they just stick there, but they actually don't just stick there, or, you know, being stuck in that category. Like scale is doing more stuff now, right? You know, the quality companies are actually doing, going some other part of the world. Um, the people that are doing serving are probably going down um, as well. So it's, it's a very interesting space where like, I think the companies that really get me excited finds a really a place where they can really dominate. Right. Um, like when I, when I backed iterative AI, dvc.org as an angel, um, uh, that was one category I thought, yeah, I haven't seen anyone really truly dominated that space. Right. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it's still probably early to tell us, but, you know, it's, it's still looking like they are, they are the company people talk about in that space. Right. So that definitely gives me something, gets me excited. Okay. There's a possibility here. Right. And there's a lot of agencies you can go to mm. that they have inherent advantages for it. And they have mm. some sort of innovation or, or, or technology, um, not in a way that's not like, like research oriented, but definitely have the community and also have something that's really hard to, to just copy. Mm. I think those, those are general things, at least for me. Right? Everyone looks at for different things, but I think I do really see that most companies need to figure out what their wedge is in this, in this crazy market now, but also need to figure out how they can actually able to win more market. Because I think everyone's going to overlap with each other. You know, <laughs> in three years, it's going to be like a, a truly like everyone going to message, uh, probably everyone going to have some kind of data catalog or some, everyone has some, some kind of data quality. <laughs> mm. Everyone have some kind of this and that. Like, it's it's going to be a big, um, it would probably be confusing and we're probably going to see consolidation because um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it cannot be like a thousand companies doing something all similar. So, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, it's not a very specific thing, but I'm, de I'm definitely truly looking for characteristics. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and Nathan, I'll, I'll ask you next on that, but let's just dive into that real fast, Tim, because you're talking about how companies are going to continue to grow and they're going to continue to like these ML ops companies are going to take different pieces that we're seeing and they're not going, they're going to start with their niche down thing, but then grow out and start doing other pieces of the ML ops puzzle. And uh, until maybe they try, they get to end to end, or I just, I think like, wow, if you're, if it does do that, like you say, then it's going to be one hell of a, a soup to try and put together your pipeline or your whole MLOps stack in three years when it's like, well, yeah, this company does a little bit of that. And so does this company, but they do it better. And they also do a little bit of this and, and they also do that. And then you're, you're trying to put together all these tools that kind of do one thing, but they mainly do another thing. And then it overlaps with this thing. And so like you're saying, like that consolidation will need to happen and so that's that's a really interesting look on it and how how you see it um but yeah nathan what what kind of stuff is exciting you what kind of companies are you looking at right now that you're thinking are doing interesting things? yeah yeah 
Um, I think this builds a little bit on what um, what Tim was saying. Like, I think the, the landscape is changing so quickly that, you know, for all the kind of categories that we articulated, um, some of those categories will still be kind of dominated by each company rolling their own because it's sort of easy. It's either easy or it's better to like roll your own custom thing for whatever your workflows are and whatever your like, you know, development, like, uh sort of priorities and like preferences are versus buying something externally or doing or using open source but then there'll be like some categories that you will have developed internally because you didn't have a choice and then fast forward a couple of years and now you're a more mature business you have multiple geographies you have multiple customer product uh, customer like archetypes and product lines and like that internal tool is like not a priority anymore and you know freeing up some uh developer time away from maintaining this like non-core asset which can be replaced with a SaaS that is mm. cheaper and better and you know has like their own startup maintaining is just better value for money basically. Um, and like to me, free the, the best ex example I have to date um, is like this like annotation stack for vision. Um, because I've been, I think like everybody in the space, like I've been monitoring all these companies for for long. And I've always kind of felt like a lot of the annotation providers are like software on top of human labor. And it's sort of hard to see how you can get like software margins with that approach. But I think as A, like the technology matures and you get much more of this like auto annotation and like few shot learning style approaches. But more importantly, like the fact that if you look at companies that were started in like 2014, 15 or something in the early innings of deep learning, like these businesses didn't have a choice, like they built their own stack. And if those companies are still around, they're probably successful and they're probably at like 10 million ARR or maybe even more, and they've got other priorities. And so switching to a SaaS like makes sense. Um, and then companies that are started started today, they have that optionality to buy a SaaS versus build their own. And that it doesn't make sense to build their own so they'll buy a SaaS. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what's also driving like more proliferation of like these labeling tools as an example. And in, that might that same kind of transition might also occur for monitoring in the future. It might occur for version control as well. Um, but it just depends on like that, the classic like build versus buy and, you know, it doesn't make sense to build custom to my environment because it's still non-standard, um, or has the playing field, has the, the best practices been laid down and we've all like agreed as a community that this is the way we do things. Mm -hmm. And then it makes sense to, to buy sort of the best in class, like version of that best practice. Well, yeah, that goes totally on what Tim was saying, how it's like the, MLOps tools mature as the companies mature in a way. It, and correct me if I if I did not understand what you were saying, Tim. Uh, but that that seems exactly like what what it is, right? Like the tools are going to to be maturing with the companies. And once we see, okay, these companies now they had their open source, they were able to prove out their their actual product works and they're making money with it so now they can free up some time and resources by getting a managed service and so you get to see like an mlops company being brought in then yeah yeah i totally i think and that's one of the challenge i think investing in this area has is that you're really trying to guess you know hmm. how many people really need this because i'm sure if you're pitching somebody is needing this but how many of that is right and how soon would that happen right if you're looking at something that um 
you know, there's a lot of innovation that's happening in ML. And what's fascinating about this space is that there's no tool that looks exactly the same uh, from MLOps perspective. Like they're always gonna have something that looks a little different um, and maybe has a little bit more skewed towards like business side of things. Maybe sometimes skewed toward more like data side or skewed more like actually infrastructure side. And, um, and it's, we're just seeing like these tools really grow with the customer base that they're able to see and, and get, right? And, and they all look so different. So I think this is not a winner takes all markets for sure. Um, there's going to be multiple winners in probably each category, but mm. I think it's still going to be interesting to see like how each category actually evolves. Right? And yeah. which category I, is more interconnected or isolated, and yeah, those kind of things. I'd be curious to get like your thoughts on this on this idea, but I feel like um, you know in classic developer tools, uh, developers are pretty opinionated with what they use, but I feel like in machine learning, there's even more like of the sectarianism. Where, where like folks are really wedded to like their particular approaches. And and if you, if you take people over these different camps and you show them the same tool, one person might say this is garbage and like bad developers do this. And then the other one will say like, this is amazing. This is what we do. And it might turns out like they're both right. <laughs> or or like, you know, one might get convinced of the other over time as they experience a different organizational structure. But yeah, um, I, think, I definitely feel like these MLOps you're really targeting two personas, right? One is the, cent the IT people, and the people are actually managing the infra, right? But these are just keeping things up. They want things as simple as possible. They like the infrastructure, DevOps type of stuff. And then the actual, but the, the actual users are, are scientists. They don't even really know any of this ops stuff real, at all. Um, so you really get into the situation where like, who are you actually targeting to sell? You're yeah, selling yeah, more yeah. infra? Because some, some, in companies, sometimes MLOps tools is not a choice by a data scientist like at all. Mm, you know, well, you have some say, but very little say sometimes. Like mm -hmm. it's pretty much my central ID bought something, I'm just going to use it. And mm -hmm. I have no choice because it's, it fits all the bill. The, uh, you know, it's a preferred vendor, it's, it's this and that. Um, and on the other side, the data scientist, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a more like, using a lot more deep learning. It has a lot, a lot more forefront research, right? They're driving a lot of infrastructure they need. Then you have a lot more taste from a scientist, but they actually don't know infra. Mm -hmm. So you're really into this, this weird world. world. Cause I, I, for Docker, for example, right? I was there 2014 looking how Docker grew. And there's always two camps in Docker, right? Like Docker is nothing new, you know, my, my, my own containers is better. <laughs> You know, it gives me too much more, a lot less options, right? You know, there's there's the purest camp, like containers should be free, right? Mm. You know, don't give me this Docker thing that kind of just like puts me into boxes. You know, those are people that actually has, are religious about their like most sophisticated setup, right? And then the rest of the world, like, I don't care. I never use it. You know, I never could use it. Like, this is just too much for me. And, you know, in the similar, similar realms, I feel like, uh, I think maybe a lot of ML ops can look that way too. Like the scientists really are looking for convenience and easeability, usability, and just really ease of use to get what they want, you know. Um, and sometimes the infra part will not as probably will not be weighed as much depending what what customer organization you're in. So it's a, it's a constant battle. Like you ask, yeah, you ask five people, they all have different widely different opinions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And, and also, you're just betting on the world, really. You're betting on this is going to be enough of these crazy folks, right, on, on either side to make this happen. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's also a great point on when you're saying like, who are you targeting? Who is the person? Because is this a tool for a data scientist? Is a data scientist actually going to be the one that uses this? And can you sell to the data scientist? Because maybe they don't have a choice on what they get to use. Uh, so that's fascinating stuff. Now, I've been neglecting the chat horribly. Sorry, everyone. I know there's all kinds of good questions in here. I'm going to get to them right now. We'll start with Ron's question about what MLOps needs are not being addressed by the market right now. What have you been seeing or as a need and you haven't seen any kind of tools pop up around it, if any, because maybe you've seen the opposite where there's too much there's which i'm probably sure you have been seeing people trying to attack things that aren't even needs or there's no pain around it i'll let maybe nathan you want to give a crack at this first yeah i guess that's a, that's a tough one because i'm sort of like not in the weeds building stuff every day but um i don't know like i think my my feeling is like there's a lot of experiments some more mature than others um but i think the the tough part to answer this question is that the best practices are still taking shape and as we discussed already like they kind of evolve every six to 12 months so it might look like you know one flavor one flavor usual is like not sufficient uh, to solve the need and then in six months something else changes so and then to some degree as like companies evolve like you know maybe if they go from like you know, a batch uh, overnight prediction system where they have time, you know, if there's a problem, they can kind of go in and fix it to then going into like a real time data service, then a whole bunch of stuff might explode and they need other kinds of solutions. So I think it really depends on where the company is in its life cycle as, uh, as it pertains to their data, cloud infrastructure and machine learning, and then also like the level of maturity of any one of these like buckets that we talked about. Awesome. And Tim, anything you want to tack on to that? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really hard to say. It's like predicting the future. Right? VCs usually not that great of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll have our takes, but like you're you're always like getting getting ready to get shocked, right? Um, uh, but I think I think my I will say I will see very few startups doing it, but I definitely see a middle little surge that's happening. Um, maybe a few things that I think is definitely opening up more, like privacy related ML companies. Are definitely, I feel like it's on the rise, you know, because we're sure. seeing all the regulations, all the privacy related stuff is happening around like lawsuits. And I think just the increased leaks. usage of ML, ML in, in general, right? All companies in all sectors are all looking to use this, either it's governments, pharma, insurance, fintech, everyone, right? Um, and so, what are we actually able to? There's a lot more constraints now when you're actually, if is a health related thing, right? I, I need to annotate data. You know, I can't just send out my patients, you know, uh, scans everywhere, right? <laughs> I need to able to handle, you know, the pipelines. I need to be able to watch uh, lots of different things, handle really well. Like you are mentioning federated learning, right? I, get, I think these are, there's still a lot more that's still happening. And these techniques are, are not new, but the need is rising, in my opinion, that mm. it's all of a sudden like these tools doesn't, it's not feel like it's too far out anymore. Like we could be looking at truly more differential privacy and, and federal learning embedded, right? Um, we can look at um, things that are actually able to do ML on top of encryption data, right? You know, there's, mm. there's, there's things that there's, I think there are definitely use cases that are rising and need for those. So that, that's one bucket of things I feel like 
I, I'm truly more excited uh, of more of that coming. Um, there are other kind of campus companies I've been seeing more that I thought was truly interesting is that then really the need to tie to business metrics more. Like ML ops has always been like, like kind of my data doc, you know, I see a bunch of numbers yeah. and what does that mean, right? I, once I really put models everywhere and once models actually driving business results, I actually cannot connect the dots that easily. You know, like I'm doing this, I'm predicting a price for my car rides and a car ride price, is that really the right price or not, right? Did I actually make money or not? And I, I need to build a lot of different toolings to sort of detect actually is not making my business metrics better or worse, or I have to be able to actually detect. Um, basically kind of really tying your infrastructure more to your business metrics. I feel like in the past, there's a lot of approaches in DevOps, right? Monitoring stacks, trying to say, hey, you're only seeing your latency numbers. You're actually tying it to your business metric. And those didn't really work that well um, because it's, you know, it's, we don't really see every single service really driving uh, business metrics and it's really hard to tie that. But I think for ML, it might be different, actually, right? Every single ML model is actually really specifically made for a business outcome one way or another. So, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but I, I definitely see a surge of these kind of companies coming up and say, hey, I built this in-house five times. You know, I cannot tell if my model is actually performing, not single model, but like holistically, because I'm calling six models to do something. And then I get some results and I cannot tell like which one is is, is right or wrong, right? Um, there's, as we go more mature uh, in adoption, I think we definitely need to have a much better way to help companies able to tell they're actually doing it the right way or not. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating take. I like that a lot. Now let's keep rolling through these questions because you all that are here are awesome and you've got so many good questions for us. I have one from Oleg Alexander and I think this was back when we were talking about the consolidation that will inevitably happen once uh, companies start to eat different pieces of of the pie and she was saying or she sorry if i if i messed that up um do you think the consolidation has already started to happen like yesterday's news about uh chooch.ai i didn't hear about chooch yeah i don't know, know anything about it <laughs> i don't know i don't know anything um but i imagine Yes. I mean, I do know that Converge was bought by uh, IBM, was it? And that just happened. So SigOpt as well recently by Intel. SigOps by <laughs> Intel. So yeah, there is definitely some, some of that happening. I could see it already starting for sure. Now, uh, John was asking about the annotation stack. I think, Nathan, you mentioned it before and he was saying what what is the annotation stack or did i mishear that yeah um well i guess like quite simply it's just like what like how do you go from i have a business problem to collecting um collecting the right data for that business problem and then figuring out what are the labels that you need to append to that data who does that um, and then how do you how do you validate that like you have the right distribution of those labels across your data set that your model is going to learn something in a, you know, not totally overfit or like wrong way. Um, and then to some degree, like 
what are what are the quality of those labels? So I think you know there's there can be you know multiple kind of like little products that um, that solve these different pain points, um, but there's increasingly like you know dedicated tools that that solve all of this. Um, and I don't know. I've I've been thinking like more recently as to like what else you could do if you own the data. And we had I think one of the questions or one of the topics that we were discussing before kind of relates to this. Um, is it feels like a lot of the problems that companies are trying to address with like Datadog for machine learning or some other companies that relate to, uh, you know, is my model learning robust features? Is it biased? Um, do, does my data have any quality issues? I feel like all of that can be potentially solved by the company that owns the data layer because like almost all those problems seem to stem from the data. And so, so like, yeah, if, if you own the data layer and you're, and you're like helping companies um, annotate their data, you can better do like, uh, you know, tests as to whether the data they're using is of good quality. You can then like trace the lineage of the features that get learned from the training data into production. You can kind of feed that back. Um, you could potentially like throw in synthetic data on top. So I, th I think, um, I think that's kind of that's basically what I mean by by annotation stack. I think it starts quite primitive and then it eventually kind of goes towards production and then all the way back because as as kind of we all know, like these machine learning models are like living living things. They're once they're done and shipped, yeah. they're not dead. <laughs> or they, they, you know, they're not static. So you need to kind of think of it as like a as a as a as a cycle. That's when the fun starts. Once they're shipped, <laughs> is when everything starts to happen. So uh, Oliver was asking also in the chat about speaking of federated learning, which we were just touching on. How do you think about ML ops in the context of federated learning, or is it federated? Is federated learning still too speculative and early in the hype curve to think about this in in this context? We kind of touched on this, but anything else you all yeah. want to add? Yeah, I I'm really excited about federated learning, um, but I probably won't think about it as ML ops problem because usually ML ops come in when you're already using it, right? And then you're trying to improve or provide infrastructure and but you're not complete uh, owning the whole whole thing, right? I think federated learning is still early, right? Because you're really addressing a lot of the privacy and security concerns, right? And research is still going on all the time. I mean open mind has been the most popular you know research project around this. Um, I, I do think that the use cases are definitely rising. Um, because I, I definitely talked to quite a few federal learning startups, and um, we're we're definitely seeing a surge of demand on it. So, I I think it's too early to think about it as an ML ops problem, but more of an ML problem. Like somebody that really needs ML, and they just either they can't, or they're they're too worried about some uh, precautions about using data freely everywhere, like sending my data everywhere because federal learning, federal learning is trying to solve the problem where I, can't, I don't have to ship the data right, to a central location. I could actually train my models where your data is. So uh, there are definitely more contexts now. We can finally kind of piece together, okay, regulation is happening. You know, there's more user license agreements are happening. There's more people, you know, drumming all the, the problems on social media. There's there's more things people are worried about now. Um, so I think federal learning is not, a, it definitely, to me, is out of the hype curve a little bit more. Um, but I think companies in this space, if they want to do this, has to think about the whole picture. Like not just federal learning, not just the infra pieces, but 
how to actually provide all the toolings from, from notebooks to, to synthetic data SDKs, putting your data everywhere, like the whole, the whole stack. Because um, if you're really targeting those companies, they can't just do one piece. Nice. Nathan, did you have anything else you wanted to Yeah, I, 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 would, I would share like Tim's enthusiasm for, for FL as like, a, as like an interesting kind of unlock and potentially, you know, if we take the techno utopist view, view on things, like it, it can potentially even open up new kinds of business models, like new ways of monetizing a product so that you, you can have like, you know, shared ownership over models. You can have, um, you know, revenue share over like contribution of data that improves the model. And like it could potentially be you know, another another kind of formalism between uh, that well that allows companies to work together. That's not you know M and A JV investment, but you know some kind of federated like alliance or something. Um, I'd say like that's a little bit in the future. I think there's a lot of like problems to solve in in between. And I think the main thing, frankly, is just like like what is the verifiably better uh, use of ML of ML in a federated learning context versus centralized context that actually benefits the user and benefits the company. Um, I think it's still TLDR. There's a lot of experiments in healthcare and others, but um, until we kind of crack that, I think it's still a ways to go. These are some great insights. I appreciate both of you and the way that you look at these problems and and just how you envision it as we move forward. It's really cool to see and, and have these uh, exchanges. So continuing on with another question from the chat, John was asking, will MLOps tools eventually become idiomatic? Would that be desirable? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Um. I mean, as in, like, I'm not quite sure, like, what the question is here. Yeah, I'm not sure. What, what does it mean? Like, I think we're all, yeah, I think we're all a little stumped there, John. You got to give us a bit more context. <laughs> yeah, flesh out, flesh out what you mean by idiomatic in this context. <laughs> like a household name to some degree. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, while John's coming up with that, what I'm wondering about is open source, and I've seen so many tooling companies that are now becoming open source or they um, they start out and they're not open source and then they realize, hey, we need to be open source because I feel like in the data science world, machine learning world, it's very much table stakes, but I'd love to hear what you all think about that and how open source plays into what you're, when you're looking at a company. Yeah, I, I think it really, there's no true answer to this. Like you have to open source to be able to do this business, right? But uh, there's definitely increasing disadvantage if you're not open source in general. Uh, we're, we're seeing open source disrupting the whole industry for, for years now, right? Um, I mean, it's not really MLOps specifically, like infrastructure, DevOps, their tools are increasingly more open source over time. And there are just so much open source alternatives for every enterprise app and infra company you can look at. Like every YC, there's an open source alternative for something. Uh, and I think MLOps, similarly, I think there's a lot of open source versions of 
everything. You know, um, I've seen open source version of every single thing out there, from labeling to monitoring to to deployment to serving. It's there's definitely pros and cons for open source, right? It's not all pros and not all cons. Right? Um, you know, there's there's definitely ways, like by being open source first, you're really latching onto this wave of I can able to build and open, right? I can able to uh, have people try it. You know, not maybe not the easiest, but at least they feel like they can try it, download and try it very easily without having to sign a bunch of like lawyer papers and finally able to cut through. And right? there's 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 some friction, uh, even though open source used to have a lot of friction in enterprises, it's increasingly looking every single company has already got to a point where I can probably use this kind of licenses now, right? As long as you're in this license is open source, I can freely just use you. And that opens up a lot of opportunities where if you're targeting data scientists, right, then they can actually use it in their models. We're seeing a lot of different open source frameworks that are targeting like the end users. They're just picking it up and using it, right? Because once you're in their workflow, then hey, why don't you also buy this, right? And there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of these sort of bottom-up adoption, not just MLOps, just across DevTools in general. Like this is been happening for years, right? Um, right? Docker and all this stuff has been like that. So I think there's, um, I, I think it definitely gonna be, I, I have a hard time imagining some MLOps company don't have any open source projects, to be honest. Like everyone will have something because you're you're really trying to eat the, more, the food chain down the line more and more, right? And the closer you get to the user, the better you are trying to be democratizing how you can be able to consume your product and understand your product, right? If I can look at your code and seeing, hey, I'm logging out some model outputs and I don't even know what this is and it's proprietary, like I maybe will go for a more open source version of it because that's where the community is. And this, mm. I'll, I'll see more people converge to it. It would tend not to die as, as simply. And at least I can feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the modern uh, trend, right? I'm not really trying to do something that's really too, too opaque I think with data scientists, they're looking for like you know ease of use, but also like they don't want to just support their own little package that just is gonna die on this on the side. Mm -hmm. So you're really you're looking for ways to get social proof a little bit as as well, sometimes on, on the tooling side. Um, so that's my feeling about it. I feel like open source is becoming like the way of getting social proof and adoption, you know, uh, and use that to really so whatever you can sell managed service, you can sell like uh, platforms uh, down the line, but it is get, getting becoming increasingly the, the wedge into most companies now. Interesting. Nathan, did you want to mm. mention? Yeah, that? I think uh, yeah, my take on it is like if you're if your customer is a developer, then open source is just part of building trust in the product. Um, <clears throat> and so it's hard for people to audit what's actually happening in your product, assuming that you're going to integrate that product quite closely into, into your tool chain and your pipelines and things. So that's why I think open source is, is important. Um, I think it also like helps you get um, cheaper customer acquisition and distribution uh, because you just have like a bigger surface area over which people can um, encounter your project and, and, your, and your product. Like they can, for example, use it for some hobby um, project on the weekend and you know, realize how much quicker they were with it and then bring it to work and you almost get that for free. Um, and then it's just like a super way to just galvanize like mind share around your, around your project and 
you know, um, projects like DVC and, uh, and Hugging Face, I think are like the best examples of this, of how quickly if you, you know, hit a topical problem and you're nice to people <laughs> and you provide lots of value for free, then, um, you know, you can, you can accumulate a lot of goodwill and then it's sort of your job to transform that goodwill in a way that, um, you know, accrues value to your company without jeopardizing everything that you work for. Mm. And well, that's my next question, right? Is how do you switch from this open source model to the money-making model and yeah, I mean, do that gracefully? Yeah, I think the key thing is like, don't bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of obvious, but like I think if you're if you're upfront from the start that like you know you're a private company or you're a public company and like you know you're out there to you know build a business and make money, um, then you know people are going to be aware of that. And I think just this, I think it it pays to be transparent and honest and like overly communicative. I think in in most things in life, um, because then the delta between like expectations and reality is as low as possible. And then there's no like people getting, you know, pissed off because that chasm was a lot bigger than what they were sold. Um, um, so that, that'd be like my kind of guiding <laughs> advice. Um, I think there's some spaces where it's much easier to, to tag on, uh, you know, paid for components and then some projects, which are just like, it, it doesn't appear to be, a, to be monetizable. Um, I think it's kind of case by case as to which ones work and don't. Hmm. Yeah, great point. So, yeah. uh, did you want to mention anything, Tim? I see. Um, you. you know, I, I think just one thing I was going to add. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I've been part of like a couple open source based projects, companies. That, um, uh, it's definitely like that. That transition is one of the hardest for any founder because um, it is actually you feel like you're running two companies. You're running open source side, and you're running enterprise side, right? And they're both really talking to different same people, but a subset of people that you're focusing on, right? Because usually, usually in an open source model, you, you have maybe, uh, you're really selling to maybe 10 to 20%, but really the biggest pain user is like one to 2% uh, of that. So you're really focusing on some subset of your customers, usually in, in enterprise play at least, um, unless you're doing like a GitHub model, right? Um, uh, so, so I think, you ask your question like gracefully, I think it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve, you know, like you really need to figure out how to run your open source side really well and how to run your enterprise side really well. And those are very two different skill sets, actually. Like you have to actually figure out what, how do I grow open source and the community, right, in an open way so that I'm not, like I say, bait and switch or, you know, do something that's open source and then suddenly becomes paid, right? Or, or any, any weird <laughs> maneuver or like a uh, sort of weird governance, like why I'm always getting this subpar version of everything, right? Um, in a very like, um, it, it doesn't feel very natural to the community. Um, at the same time, you cannot just build everything you want open source way in your enterprise products. Like it's a very deliberate process. Your buyer's persona is different their motivation, how they look at products, they pay is very different. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, um, we're, I'm currently also recording podcasts with open source based founders, actually. Mm, nice. uh, we're interviewing quite a few uh, that went through all the way through series C or above, uh, not ML ops specifically, but just like in general, like DevOps companies, open source and take get, learning their lessons. And I'm gonna publish that 
uh, hopefully soon, <laughs> a couple of them. Uh, so hopefully that also uh, sheds some light in this um, because it, I think it's actually a very nuanced topic. You know, there's a yeah. lot of different little things that I think successful open source based founders have learned over time. Like some actually completely just never going to do open source again. You know, there are people actually burned burned <laughs> out completely. But the ones that made it successful, I think they all learned like, okay, it's not an easy thing at all. And mm. there are definitely things you need to watch out for. Yeah, I, I believe it. So we will link to that podcast for sure in the description. And also I'll send it out in the, the weekly newsletter in case anyone wants to check it out. And I'm seeing... One last question, I think. We've got about five minutes left. I'll leave a link to our Slack community here in the chat in case anyone wants to join us in there and continue the conversation with either of you. Uh, but we've got this question from Gonzalo and it's following up on the open source and like running two companies. And he's asking, should we start uh, should we focus only on the, um, wait, let me see. I, I got all caught up having this in mind, running two companies and because startups need to focus, should startups focus on open source only at first and think about monetization later? And if so, are investors prepared to invest in no revenue companies? Well, I mean, it's proven. Investors do invest in no revenue companies. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even insane evaluations, right? So, so it's yeah. not even a question anymore. Um, it's really, yeah, yeah. It's really not a question at all. Are investors ready to do it? But I, I do want to say that it's, everyone's miles will vary a bit, you know, not just because you have an open source project and you have like, I don't know, a thousand stars, you're going to get, insane amount of money <laughs> it, it doesn't just add up that way right it's it's uh, uh your open source really needs to fit, not just fit a need right it has to have a possibility to dominate something like there has to be a category you can dominate and people can actually come up with a reason why um and that to me like if you can to like pave out a path and see the, the tremendous growth that I can actually dominate a category and it's, it's a huge potential. But yeah, we are seeing investors pretty happy to pay, you know, a lot <laughs> for just pure open source growth, actually. Um, mm -hmm. So it is, it is, I do think that there is uh, a lot of discussions and a lot of things to think about. Um, like uh, a lot of open source projects in the past was more natural, like, I was solving my own need. I open sourced it. It grew into a certain point, and now we're actually seeing a tremendous growth. I think a lot, a lot of open source projects I've seen are more deliberate. Like I mm -hmm. want to start a company. I'm going to open source this, and I'm trying to make this work. And I do find that to it, it can work, but I usually do find it's like a lot of times it can feel like you're very not thinking about the community as much. You know, like I'm thinking about how I can get paid features in, how do I do this and that? Like, I think you really need to run your company in a way that you're really putting your community at first as part of it, but also you have the commercial side and there's gonna be a constant debate. And that's, that's a healthy thing actually, right? 
Um, so I, I don't. So I mean, I don't think it's even a question anymore. <laughs> it's oh. it's a hot it's a hot thing now. If you have open source traction, you are getting everyone's attention. Yeah. And just as an FYI, in general, on Slack, I saw Hamsa, who I don't believe is on this call. He just could hear us talking about it. He put uh, article. He linked to an article on five ways open source software companies are making money. So, oh, nice. yeah, jump in general and have a look at that if you want to go deeper into it. I, Nathan, did you want to add anything to the open source question or should we wrap it up? No, I mean, I, th I think I think the only the only point I'd, I'd mention is like I think we need more. Uh, I think we need greater surface areas over which like developers can encounter new projects and new like new reasons to use MLOps tools. Because I find, as it's contrasted to traditional developer tools, like you know, just looking at website building as a basic example, like almost every developer has their own like hobby website. So like the audience for trying Netlify or some Jamstack thing is like very high, and um, and you know more people will just like give it a shot and just experience it. But like the segment of people who have skills to do machine learning and have a machine learning side project is probably several orders of magnitude smaller. So selling developer tools where like there aren't that many on-ramps or aren't that many um, you know, contexts in which a, a, a developer like wants to try something new uh, makes it even harder. So I think having the open source component is perhaps like, like a nice like add-on to increase like the, the surface area for people to try new things. Fascinating. Great points, both of you. I want to thank you so much for coming on here and enlightening us. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. And I mean, we organized this really late notice too. So I appreciate you both for taking the time out of your busy days to join us and talk to us. I know that everyone found it very, very useful, just like I did. And if you want to reach out to either of these two, they're pretty active on Twitter and they're very active in the community. So feel free. Is there anything else you want to say? Any last remarks? No, you not really. Keep I mean, jamming you're and growing the community. Yeah, we're in a Slack channel, right? So <laughs> feel free to ping us. Yeah, we're going to continue to be involved. So yeah. There we go. Awesome. Well, I thank you guys again. And thank you everyone for coming. Awesome, awesome questions. That was really, really cool to see everyone asking these great questions. And we will see you next. Oh, no. Next week, no meetup because it's Thanksgiving. So enjoy Thanksgiving, everyone. And uh, we'll be back in December. Take care. Yeah. Hey, guys. See ya.